Speaking of Bibles, if you've got one, I hope you'd open it up to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. If you don't have a Bible, there is a hardback black Bible under the chair in front of you. If you grab that Bible, you can turn to page 46. That's where we're going to be hanging out. This summer, we've been looking at some of our favorite Bible stories from the Old Testament together. And as we've been looking at them, we've been, I've been trying to help you take hold of the fact that uh, what we find in the Old Testament aren't just stories that entertain us, but are historical accounts of God at work in the lives of his people. These stories have been preserved for us to encourage us and equip us to live on mission for him. The Apostle Paul told us that. He told us in Romans 15, 4, that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we've been looking at some of our favorite stories from the Old Testament together to see the hope, to see the encouragement that they offer us. We started with Noah and the ark two weeks ago. And then last week, we looked at Father Abraham, but today, as we continue forward in our Bibles, we're going to be looking at just one of the many stories of Moses. We're going to be looking at Moses' encounter with the Lord at the burning bush. Now, we all know this story, right? Moses is out tending his sheep, and, and as he is, he looks over and he sees a bush that's on fire, but the bush isn't consumed, And so he goes over to the bush, and as he approaches, the Lord speaks to him and tells him to take off his sandals, for he's standing on holy ground. And then the Lord tells him that, I'm sending you, Moses, to Egypt to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of bondage and slavery. That's the story of the burning bush in a nutshell. And often, that's how we think about this. We think about it like it's a story, like it's just the opener. It's the once upon a time beginning for the story of the exodus of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. But what we're going to be looking at today is more than a story. You see, as we look a little closer at the story, what we're going to see is that God is calling Moses to serve him, but even as he's calling Moses to serve him, he's equipping him for that service. And as we see that, I think we're going to find some hope. Because just like we saw last week with Father Abraham, Moses is a lot like you and me. Now, when we think about Moses, often we like to put Moses right up at the top. He's there with Abraham. He's there with King David. He's there with the Apostle Paul. He is at the top of all the people in the Bible. Like, you don't get more holy than him. But when we put him up there, we lose track of the fact that Moses was just like you and me. We think he's a guy who had it all together. We think of the way that he powerfully led Israel out into the promised land. He performed miracles, but the reality is Moses is just like us. He had weaknesses and doubts. He had fears and struggles. He felt ill-equipped for the mission that God had called him to accomplish. And we're going to see that today. But what we're also going to see as we're looking at this is that when God calls us to serve him, he equips us for that call. And that's the main idea that I'd like you to walk away with today. Now, if you're visiting with us, I like to have one main idea that kind of sinks in and take hold of to walk away from a message as we're looking at the word. And, And today, this is that main idea. When God calls us to serve him, he equips us for that call. 
God doesn't just give us a job to do and then set us loose to do it all by ourselves. No, what he does is he comes with us, he equips us, he gives us everything we need so that we can serve him, so that we can live for him. And we're going to see that together as we're looking at this story here in Exodus chapter 3. When God calls us to serve him, he equips us for that call. So with that in mind, let's dive right in. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1, and for now we're just going to look at the first 10 verses. The Bible says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account of Moses at the burning bush, and we ask as we look closer at this account that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear from you and be encouraged to live for you. Would you help us to see this truth and take hold of it and internalize it, this truth that when you call us and you do call us, you equip us, you give us everything we need so that we can do what you have called us to do. Would you give us the strength we need? Would you give us the encouragement we need so that we could walk out of here better prepared to serve you in this community, in this world? We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we know that you will work in us. It's in your beautiful name that we pray. Amen. If you are any kind of a movie buff then you know that there are some movies out there with utterly iconic opening scenes. Movies whose opening scenes are so good, they set the stage for the entire movie, but they also leave an indelible mark on your mind. I'm sure if you think about it, you can think of some movies, movies like Saving Private Ryan, with that opening scene there of the D-Day invasion of Omaha Beach. 
Or, or movies like The Lion King, right? Where Simba is in, introduced to the entire animal kingdom right at the climax of the circle of life and they hoist him up there. There are some movies whose opening scenes are so iconic that they just get trapped in our minds. But I think for me growing up, the, the movie that, that fits that mold the best is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Now, now you've all seen the movie, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. It starts with a black screen, and then you get those blue words, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, dot, dot, dot. And then with this symphonic crash, Star Wars appears on the screen, and then the crawler begins to crawl. And as we look at that crawler, we're introduced to the story that's going on. It tells us about the evil galactic empire. It tells us about the rebel spies, about the Death Star. It tells us about Princess Leia and her race to restore freedom to the galaxy. As the crawler comes to an end, the screen goes black again, and all you see is a black starry space. It's a truly iconic opening scene to a truly iconic movie. George Lucas knew what he was doing when he created that movie. He knew how to capture our attention and draw us into the story. But could you imagine if you went to go watch Star Wars Episode Four, and you watched that crawler crawl through, and as the screen goes black, could you imagine pulling out the remote control, turning off the movie, and saying, well, that's it, movie's over, great movie. You couldn't, right? Why? Because it's the beginning of the movie. That would be crazy to do that. And yet, when we talk about Moses and the burning bush, often that's exactly what we do. We look at these first 10 verses that we've read together. We hear God call Moses to go to Egypt and bring his people out. And then we turn the page in our Bible and we fast forward to the good stuff. We go to the 10 plagues or we just close our Bible altogether. And when we do that, we miss out on the hope that this account has to offer us. You see, this account is more than just a miracle of a burning bush. This account is giving us hope. And as we look at this closer, what we're going to see is that when God calls us to serve him, he equips us for this call. The, the call for Moses is right there in verse 10, right? Look at it one more time. The Lord says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. That's the call right there. That's God saying to Moses, Moses, you're my man. I'm going to send you out to do my work. And here's the thing. We could spend an entire sermon, probably several sermons, just talking about these 10 verses right here. The fact that God sees his people, that he knows where they're at, that he hasn't abandoned them, that he's going to provide for them and rescue them. We could spend an entire sermon on just these 10 verses. But today I want you to look at how Moses responds to this call. Because Moses responds with five objections to God's call on his life. And, and the reality is, they're objections that we make too. You see, Moses really is a lot like us. And we see that right here. 
So, so we're going to spend most of our time in what comes after the first 10 verses. So take a look now at verse 11. The Bible says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Here we go. God's called Moses to do something. And Moses' first objection is, Who am I? Now, this isn't Moses having an existential crisis. This is a statement of confidence. This is a statement of identity. Earlier in Exodus, we read of Moses going out to see his fellow Hebrews. Remember, he was raised up in Pharaoh's household. And and as he goes out, he goes to see his fellow Hebrews out in slavery. and, And when he does, he sees an Egyptian soldier beating some of his fellow Hebrews. And so he intervenes boldly. He intervenes and he murders the Egyptian. The next day, he goes out again and he sees two of his fellow Hebrews arguing with one another, and he tries to step in. Again, he's bold, he's he's willing to speak up, and he tries to step in and break up that fight. But when he does, they call him out on the murder. They say, what are you going to do, murder us too? Just like you did the Egyptian? Moses, afraid of what might happen, afraid that Pharaoh is going to kill him, fled Egypt, and it seems that the confidence, the boldness that Moses had has been completely destroyed. We have a new Moses after that moment. Moses doesn't see himself as being up to this task. He doesn't have the qualifications. He doesn't have the skills. In Moses' mind, this is an impossible assignment. And he's not prepared or able to go to Pharaoh and demand that Pharaoh release the children of Israel. It's a common response. When God calls you to serve him, whether it's big or small, it's a common response to say, who am I, Lord? Like, I don't have the skills, Lord. I don't have the abilities, Lord. Who am I? God, I'm not up to this. It's a common response. And I think it's a common response because often when God calls us to do something, he calls us to do something that's bigger than ourselves. God will call us to serve him in a way that is going to require us. It's going to force us to grow. It's going to force us to lean into our faith. And so this response of who am I, if you really think about it, it makes sense. It's a natural response to the things that God calls us to do. But what I love is that even with a question like that, God responds with encouragement and reassurance. Take a look at verse 12. Look at what what God says. The Bible says, he said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, God calls Moses to do this great thing for him. Make no mistake, this is no small task that God has put before Moses, right? Egypt is the world superpower in Moses' day. And God is sending Moses to Pharaoh, to the king of Egypt, to demand that he release all of his Hebrew slaves. This is no small thing. But the Lord's answer to, who am I, God? His answer to Moses' doubts and Moses' insecurities 
is I will be with you. And this is a common refrain throughout the Bible. God gives us commands. He commissions us to serve him. But when he does, in his goodness, he doesn't leave us to ourselves to figure it out. He goes with us. The Lord tells Moses, but I will be with you. The Lord will be with him the whole time, working through him because Moses is simply going as the Lord's instrument. You know, a few years ago, I, I had to have my right shoulder repaired. It was a right shoulder bank heart repair. And in order to do that surgery, it had gotten so loose, my shoulder had gotten so loose that I could be sitting in the Lazy Boy watching TV and it would just dislocate on its own. So time for surgery, and we go to, the, to do the surgery. And that day, that surgery was going to be an arthroscopic surgery, which means that the doctor wasn't actually going to go into my shoulder to fix it. He was going to go in with his instruments to fix it, but he wasn't going to open me up to, to fix my shoulder. And so on the day of the surgery, I, I remember they took me back into the ER, and right before they put that mask on me and sent me to sleep, I, I looked over, and I, I remember seeing a tray table filled with all the instruments that the doctor was going to use. Now, now here's the thing, because the doctor was not going to go in me. It was the instruments that were going to repair my shoulder. But those instruments were completely powerless to fix my shoulder unless the doctor was there using them. You following me on this? It's the same thing with us. When God calls us and commissions us to go serve him, we go as his instruments he goes with us and he uses us. We become his hands and feet to do what he's called us to do. When God calls us to serve him, he goes with us. By ourselves, those feelings of inadequacy that we feel, that, those feelings that trigger that, who am I, God, response, those feelings are 100% valid if we're doing it by ourselves. By ourselves, we cannot do what God calls us to do, which is why it's good news that we're not by ourselves. He goes with us. We're seeing this here with Moses, but the reality is we see this all throughout the Bible. We see it with Joshua and Gideon. We see it with David and Solomon. We see it with Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Apostle Paul. And in Matthew 28, Jesus tells us that he goes with us too. You know this. We end our services the same way each Sunday by reciting the Great Commission where Jesus tells every single one of us, I'm going to send you out to share my good news with a world that needs to receive it. But how does he end that command? He says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. When God commissions us to serve him, he goes with us. When God wants us to serve and we're tempted to ask, who am I? God responds to that doubt. He responds to that insecurity with, I will be with you. Take hold of that. But here's the thing. As soon as the Lord answered that first objection to Moses, Moses is right there with his next one. Take a look at verse 13. The Bible says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? 
Moses' second objection is, what will I say? When the people ask who sent him, when the people ask why was he sent, Moses is afraid that he won't have the answers. Again, this is a common objection. But I think, if you will peel away the layers that overlap this question, if you'll peel all the way down to its core, this question right here, at its core, is about our pride. It's about our pride. What if I come to them with your message and and I don't have the answers to the questions they ask? What if I don't know what to say in the moment? What if I look dumb? What if they mock me? What if they persecute me? What if they make fun of me? What if... We talked about this what-if question last week, didn't we? It's a powerful question. What if is so able to keep us from being obedient in the moment? But God is bigger than our what-ifs, which is why I love how the Lord responds here to Moses' objection. Keep reading in verse 14. The Bible says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go. And gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. God's response to Moses' second objection of, What will I say is, I will give you the words to say. In a moment of fear and uncertainty, God promises Moses that that he will supply him with the words to say. And then the Lord gives him those words. But did you notice, as I was reading there, how, how the Lord covered all the bases? He gave instructions for everyone that Moses was going to need to talk to. It's right there in verses 14 and 15. God gave him the message for the people of Israel. In verses 16 and 17, he gives him the message for the elders of Israel. And in verse 18, he gives them the message for Pharaoh himself. God's response to the question of, what will I say, is, I'm going to give you the words to say, Moses. And what's awesome about our God is that he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he says the same thing to us. You see, Jesus told his disciples, and he told us the very same thing. 
in Luke chapter 12, as he's talking to his disciples about their witness and about the persecution that they may face, he told them, starting at verse 11, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. When God calls you to serve him, when he calls you to be a witness for him, when he calls you to do something great for him, he will give you the words to say. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where this has been true. Conversations that I've walked into knowing just, you know, as a pastor, this is going to be a hard conversation and I don't know what to say to them knowing they're going to unload on me what, what they're dealing with, their struggles and their trials. And, and I'm going to be honest, I don't have any idea what I'm supposed to say to them. And so in that moment, what I'll do is I'll just be like, God, I need you to help me here. Give me the words to say. Speak through me. And, and, and can I tell you, every single time he's been faithful. In the moment where I needed the words to say, he has given me the words to say. When we live on mission for Christ, he will give us the words to say. But still, even knowing that, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes other objections come to mind, and that happened with Moses. Take a look at chapter 4, verse 1 there. There we see Moses' third objection. The Bible says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Moses' third objection is, They won't believe me. You, you've told me to go. You've given me the message that I'm supposed to tell them. But when I say, say that to them, when I give them that message, they're not going to believe me. What do I do then, God? That's his objection right here. And what happens in verses 2 through 9 is the Lord gives him three signs. Take a look. The Bible says, Then the Lord said to him, What is this that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it by the tail, and it, it became a staff in his hand. The Lord continues, That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some of the water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground." God gives Moses three signs to prove that God is with him. His staff becomes a serpent and then a staff again. His hand becomes leprous and then clean again. 
And then water from the Nile is poured out on the ground and it becomes blood. Those are the signs. But did you notice that God doesn't give Moses the power to do those signs? There in verse 2, God doesn't tell Moses, I'll give you the power to prove that I'm with you. No, what what does he do? He, He backs up what he said earlier. Earlier he said, I will be with you. And Moses' proof that he is with him is that God makes these signs happen as Moses is obedient to the Lord. Moses is worried that they won't believe that God has sent him, but God's response is to prove that he is with him in that moment. God's response is a promise that I'll work through you. When God calls us to serve him, we might be afraid that people won't believe us. Maybe they'll doubt our, authentic, our authenticity. Maybe they'll doubt our motives. But God's response to that objection, his response to that fear is, I will work through you. People will see me at work in you. God's called us to be a people who live for him. He's called us to be a people who love others, who serve others, who proclaim his good news. And the promise is that when we are faithful and obedient, he will produce fruit. You see, it doesn't matter if they believe that we're genuine or not. It doesn't matter if they question our motives, because if we're following the Lord's call on our lives, he's going to bring the fruit. He'll work through us. God's response to, they won't believe me, is I'll work through you. And as soon as God tells Moses that, Moses does what I think most of us do all the time. He comes up with yet another objection. Take a look at chapter 4, verse 10. The Bible says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, now here's what you need to know. That, that phrase that Moses uses, I am not eloquent, is literally translated, I am not a man of words. And some have argued that the follow-on statement, I am slow of speech and tongue, implies that he had some sort of speech impediment. But here's the thing, literally translated, that second statement just means I'm a poor speaker. I'm slow and hesitant. And the takeaway, the most important thing to notice is that nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Old Testament, nowhere in the New Testament are we told that Moses was wrong in his self-assessment. Moses was apparently a terrible public speaker. It seems that this is a significant weakness for him. He's not a gifted orator. He's not a slick politician with excellent public speaking capabilities. His objection here is focused squarely on his limitations. He's just not good talking to people. And that's something I think most of us in here would be able to identify with, right? After all, survey after survey says that between 72 and 75% of the population fears public speaking. Most of us don't like getting up in front of a crowd and talking to people. Most of us don't like talking to strangers at all. And, And so the challenge we face is that when God calls us to serve him, often it involves just that. 
When he calls us to serve him, he calls us to go to people who don't know what we know and share a message that they've never heard before. And that's scary to us. Our weaknesses and our limitations can often get in the way of our obedience. And that's what's happening here. Moses is essentially objecting, telling God, you don't know my limitations. But look how the Lord responds to Moses there in verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God has called Moses to do this great thing for him, but all Moses can see are his limitations. So God points out that he doesn't have the same limitations that Moses has. God is the one who made the mouth. He's the one who enables people to see and hear, who makes them blind or deaf. He's able to communicate through Moses despite Moses' limitations. And so the Lord's response to this objection is very similar to the responses we've already seen. He's already told Moses, I will be with you. He's already told Moses, I will tell you what to say. And now he's saying, you're you're worried about your ability to speak, Moses, but I will be with your mouth and will teach you what you shall speak. God's response to Moses' objection of you don't know my limitations is I will enable you to do it. You can depend on me in the moment as you serve me, Moses. That's what he's telling him here. You know, it's another common fallacy we run into as Christians. When God calls us to serve him, we begin to wonder if he knows who he's calling we wonder, God, you really got this right? But God's response to Moses here makes it pretty clear that he does. When God calls you to serve him, he knows who he's calling. He knows your strengths, and he knows your weaknesses. And here's the thing. God doesn't make mistakes, Which means that if God calls you and he's aware of your weaknesses, God is going to support you and uphold you as you're obedient to that calling. In fact, it's just another opportunity for God to show how good and gracious and powerful he is that he's able to work through broken vessels like you and me. God isn't limited by our limitations Our weaknesses don't prevent God from using us, and so we shouldn't put them up there as this roadblock, as an excuse to say, I can't serve you here, God. We might want to say, you don't know my limitations to God, but God says right back to us, I will enable you to do it. But returning to the account of Moses, Moses is out of excuses finally, And as he runs out of excuses, he falls to the objection of last resort. And it's an objection that I think many of us have made at one time or another. Take a look at verse 13. The Bible says, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Now, can we just be honest for a minute? 
How, how many of us have found, us, found ourselves making that objection right there? God, just send somebody else. You, you want me to share the gospel with my neighbor? I'll pray for him, but send somebody else. You want me to serve in the nursery? God, I'll support them financially, but send somebody else. This is an objection I think all of us make all the time. Moses' final objection is choose someone else, God. Now, here's the thing. We don't know the reason behind this objection. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a lack of confidence. Truth is, it doesn't really matter. The, the point is clear. He doesn't want to do what God has commanded him to do. And that's sinful. God is sovereign. God knows what's best. And when God calls us to serve him, he knows what he's doing. We don't get to second guess God. He's right, always. And so it makes sense that as God responds, verse 14 tells us that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. God has finally had enough of the objections. And so he puts an end to them. But even as he does, here's what I want you to see. God's full of grace and mercy for Moses. Because where Moses objects with choose someone else, God responds by saying, I'm going to give you a partner. Take a look starting at verse 14. The Bible says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is, not, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. God's response to Moses' final objection is to tell him, you're not alone in this, Moses. I'm going to give you a partner. And that's a point that we cannot miss. Serving the Lord is not something we do by ourselves. God brings us together so that we can serve him together. Now, there are times where it might feel like, like you don't have what you need, but in those moments, God brings the right person at the right time to serve with you side by side. And if I can just be completely transparent with you today, this last week of VBS has been a testimony to that. I remember having conversations with Kristen earlier in the year, and we were looking at VBS, and because we were part of the Point Church in the past, we had some of their people would come over and help us with VBS, but, but this year we're a standalone autonomous church, and, and so we were looking at some of those positions, and we were wondering, like, like we don't have anybody to fill this. What are we going to do? But here's the thing. God brought the right people at the right time to fill those spots. 
And this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all week long, we got to see God's goodness to us as he brought in partners to serve him in this ministry, in this church right here. Some of you are the partners I'm talking about. God brought us who we needed in the moment we needed him. How good and gracious and faithful is he? And here's the thing. He keeps doing that. He does it for us as a church, but he also does it for us as individuals. When God calls us to serve him, he equips us for that call. That's what we're seeing here in this episode with Moses and the burning bush. And I know it feels a little bit redundant. I know this feels like something I'm telling you guys all the time. But, but here's the thing. As I was reading through this this last week, as I was studying through and, and just looking at this conversation that Moses was having with the Lord, every single time I was reading through it, I kept hearing my voice speaking Moses' objections. Who am I, God? You want me to do what, God? Who am I? What if they don't believe me? You don't know my limitations? What am I going to say, God? I don't know what to say. God, would you just please Please send somebody else. I'm not up to this. I can't do this. Just send somebody else. I kept hearing my voice in these objections. And I think that's because most of these five objections are objections that we give to God all the time ourselves. But what you just can't miss as you look at this as Moses is pushing back on God, you, you can't miss God gently responding with grace. Who am I? I'll be with you. What will I say? I'll give you the words to say. They're not going to believe me. I'm going to work through you. God, you don't know my limitations. You don't know what I can't do, I'm going to enable you to do it. God, just send someone else. I'm going to give you a partner. How good and gracious is God that when God calls us to serve him, he equips us for that call. That's what we're seeing here in this text. But there's one more thing that I need you to take hold of here as we're looking at this, and then we'll be out of here. When God calls, the call is not optional. The call is required. To resist the call is to sin against God. And listen, God's called you. If you are a follower of Jesus, he has called you. He has equipped you in some way to serve him. 
He's put you in your neighborhood to serve him. He's put you in your job to serve him. He's brought you to this fellowship of believers to serve him. And if God has called you to serve him, it's sinful to resist that call. And so what do we do? Instead of the objections, maybe we embrace the reality of what we're seeing here in this text. Instead of telling God all the reasons why we can't, maybe we embrace the truth that he goes with us, that he gives us what we need, that he brings others together to serve with us together. When God calls us to serve him, he equips us for that call. That's what we're seeing here in this story of Moses and the burning bush. He gives us everything we need. So all that's left for us to decide to do is, is decide, how will we respond to the call? Will we respond with faith and obedience? Or will we just walk away like we never heard him call us? Those are our options. It's hard. It's very hard sometimes. But I want to choose obedience. And I hope you do as well. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for this word of encouragement that we find here in Exodus chapter 3. Father, as we're confronted by this word, and it, and it is a little bit confrontational. God, I feel like you've kind of been in my face this week. But, but as we're confronted by this word, Father, I ask that you would help us to see the hope and the encouragement that you have for us in this. That when you call us to serve you, you haven't made a mistake. You haven't gotten it wrong. You knew what you were doing as you called us in to send us out. And so, Father, I ask that you would empower and enable us to live out the call you've given us. Help us to be disciples who radiate Jesus in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in the encounters we have in the community when we're doing athletic events, whatever it is, Father, would you help us to be faithful and Father, if, if some of us know that you are calling us and we're, we're just pushing back and resistant to that call, Father, I, I ask that you would break down barriers. Help us to surrender to what you've called us to do. Help us to live it out in everything that we do. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this time we've had together in your word. It's in your beautiful name that I pray. Amen.